You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We need to get to a program where we can give them a run and, and compete with them because they've been consistently probably the best team in our half uh, for quite a few years. So hats off to them and a credit to where they are as a program. They're going to probably have a target on their back a little bit from every Big Ten West team for a while because they've been at the top. They're not trying to find an identity of who they are offensively. They've found their identity and have been such for a really long period of time, so it's kind of been ingrained in the culture as to who they are. And that can't be overstated. When you have a program that's got a culture and it's got an identity and it's had one for such a long period of time, it's it, you can't overstate the value of that. I definitely know our guys that are suiting up their last three games um, and their Husky uniforms are definitely bringing it. They're ready. And then for the younger guys, we are we are trying to build something here and just finishing on a high note and propelling this thing into spring ball and then the next fall is big for us and is big for our program. So we just got to put our best foot forward and hope for the best. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washhead, and Nate Klaus as we're going to get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Wisconsin game. It's an 11 a.m. game, the final 11 a.m. game of the year. I know um, – a lot of you fans don't like those games. Uh, they did announce next week's game at Maryland is a 2:30 game, and then we know the Iowa game will be a 1:30 game here uh, to close out the regular season. But you heard Scott Frost, Jovan DeWitt, JoJo Doman um, just give some thoughts about where things are at. Nebraska four and five. I mean, you, you heard a couple guys in the program this week say though. I mean, Ryan Held himself said, "Hey, we're four and five, but you know, a lot of guys feel like we we could and should be seven and two right now." And that's kind of the mindset you have to take going into this game if you're Nebraska. Like, yeah, this season hasn't gone the way you wanted it, but you've got an opportunity this week, um, almost kind of like a 2015 Nebraska-Michigan State type of game where nobody in the world gave Nebraska a chance. They won that game, and they snuck into a bowl game. And, you know, I don't want to use too many Mike Riley-era comparisons, but this situation kind of reminds you of that a little bit, doesn't it, Robin? Uh, a little bit, um, but, you know, at the same time uh, – I think everybody just needs to believe it before, you know, they, or see it before they can believe it. Uh, right now we've been hearing so much about all the what ifs and how close they are and, you know, just a couple plays away from having a completely different season. Well, uh, eventually all those little things become a theme. Right what it could have, should have. Yeah. And, and right now Nebraska just isn't playing good football. I mean, they're, they're not a good football team. I think they're struggling to find an identity of what they are and what works and, uh, you know, who's going to be there. Their guys are going to hang their hat on. And, um, you know, it's been a, a season long process that hasn't made much progress in finding an answer. So sure. This is another opportunity where if they go out and suddenly everything clicks and they play four full quarters of football uh, at high level, which they haven't done all year uh, against one of the better teams in the Big Ten West, then, yeah, that'll change the whole dynamic of the season because then you go into Maryland with a chance to clinch bowl eligibility. But they're 14-point dogs for a reason, and, uh, you know, they got some injury issues that they need to get answers to before Saturday. And uh, right now um, I'm tempering, uh, putting much confidence in, into this being the turning point game everybody or some people might think it could be. It's funny because if you just brought someone from the outside in who hadn't seen Nebraska or watched anything of them and just looked at the the schedule and look at the outcomes, they'd be like, okay, well, they lost a couple games that they should have lost, and then they lost a couple really close games, you know. Um, so the, this team could easily have seven wins already. But, yeah, the eye test, you know, tells us something different, and, and we just have not seen all phases of the of the – 
you know the football team play well together uh, at really at all this this mm-hmm. year and uh, and I think that's the biggest thing if they can somehow find a way to get the offense and the defense playing well at the same time then then we could see you know some, them kind of back their way into a bowl game here through these next three games well and let's go back to July when Nebraska and Vegas was favored in 11 out of 12 games and I think their over under was about nine and they're picked to win the West. That was even a thin line. You go back and look at those early spreads, the way too early spreads. All of those spreads were like anywhere from like one to six points. I mean, they they were flip games. It wasn't like Nebraska was picked to be a convincing nine and three team. They were like, okay, we're going to give you the intangible edge because of Martinez, because of Frost. And that's going to get you over the hump in all these games with very, very close point spreads. Well, Nebraska's lost all these games with very, very close point spreads. And they got blown out, obviously, in, in the, the Ohio State game. And we're learning Minnesota is not a bad team. Um, yeah. I mean, they're now uh, ahead of both. They're, they're ahead of all the Big 12 teams in the college football playoff poll. And they're just right behind Oregon and Utah um, in, the, in, the, in the latest uh, college football playoff poll. Yeah, they control their own destiny to, to go to the college football playoff. But, uh, yeah, going back to Nebraska, I mean, you know, the, there was a fine line. And, you know, a lot of it was just based off the benefit of the doubt, the fact that it was year two under Scott Frost. And, Martinez Frost, yeah, year, year two. Year two under Adrian Martinez. And that, uh, a favorable schedule with all your quote-unquote big games at home. Uh, and the benefit of the doubt that Memorial Stadium was going to be an advantage. Well, none of those things have played out I mean Martinez was regressed you know the the team under Scott Frost has, doesn't seem to have gotten better really in any area uh, and they've lost a lot of those swing games at home and uh, you know really looks not competitive against the best teams they've played this year so uh, you know it's shows that uh, a lot of kind of all these preseason expectations were just kind of assumptions that Nebraska was going to be better and clearly uh, all the progress we expected them to make did not happen. Well, and they've had, you know, had some key injuries. You know, some of your best playmakers have been banged up. You haven't had guys step up where you thought maybe you you would see guys step up, especially at the wide receiver position. You know, not saying that we expected anyone to necessarily fill Stanley Morgan Jr.'s shoes, but I think we all thought that kind of plug and somebody, play. Yeah, I mean, that somebody thought. would step up and at least soften the blow of losing a guy like that or, you know, having a, a running back soften the blow of losing a guy like Divine Ozigbo and, um, you know, and, and some of those guys that, that are no longer on this team, and, and that just hasn't happened. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Wisconsin game. And, guys, I don't know if you know this, but they are playing for a trophy in this thing. It's called <laughs> the Freedom Trophy, not named after Freedom Akamala, dude. But, uh, they, you know, once Nebraska went to the Western Division with Wisconsin and the, le- the legends and the leaders dissolved because they were not in the same division back then, uh, they created this trophy. Wisconsin is five and zero in Freedom Trophy games against Nebraska. Um, you, you know, I think it's just kind of a punchline that there is a trophy for this series because um, it is the least talked about trophy game in the Big Ten by far. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Well, basically, the Big Ten made a trophy for, for Wisconsin to hang in its trophy case because Nebraska hasn't touched it since it's been in existence. Uh, it, it was funny. It wasn't until Zach Bond, uh, Wisconsin's star linebacker, you know, he was commenting about uh, whether Nebraska-Wisconsin was a rivalry. And, you know, he said, no, because you know, we've dominated the series and the trophy has stayed in Madison. And was like, trophy? <laughs> what trophy? <laughs> so apparently, yes, there is a trophy that Wisconsin is proud of. There's two trophy games in Nebraska, the Heroes and the Freedom, right? Yes. And, 
And I was telling Keith Mann, the media relations director, I think if they would have kept Penn State as the original crossover, because that was Nebraska's annual crossover, I believe that would have developed into a trophy game because Penn State doesn't really have a natural trophy game. They had the Michigan State. Uh, they played the Land Grant or whatever they call that trophy. Something like that. Um, but Michigan, I think Penn State and Nebraska could have been one. Um, and I get it. You want to, They want Nebraska to have a second trophy game, and this, this one has just been kind of a dud, Nate. Yeah, it has been a dud. And I, I remember when the trophy was, you know, when they made it. But <laughs> up until this week, I had pretty much forgotten all about it because, well, obviously, for obvious reasons, it just stayed in Madison and in whatever trophy case they have there. And Will it and, be on the sideline, I wonder? I think so. I think that I, I actually remember now that, like, I remembered it was a thing that they brought it to Lincoln and were like hoisting it on the sideline during the by the visitors' corner uh, after they won. To their fans. Yeah, and, I was like, oh. That's a thing. Get so. a picture of the Freedom Trophy Nate in the recruit gallery this yeah. week. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Oh, there is. We forgot the two-bit broken chair trophy. Oh, get out of yeah. here with that. <laughs> That's that is the the lamest thing. I, I don't want any, people either love it or they hate, hate it. it. Yeah. Did Nate. Minnesota get it this year? At the I don't end? know. I, mean, I don't even know. I feel like the it. schools have kind of they don't like it. Distance they, they, they try not to even yeah. acknowledge it. Well, there's only, a charity group behind it now, right? But it, it, Which it is just, a bad move on that charity. They should find something better to get in a piece <laughs> of plywood chair. All right, lots to talk about here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Adrian Martinez, what he needs to do. Questions about Wandale Robinson. Will he play Saturday? If he doesn't, what's that mean? We'll give our thoughts on all of that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I feel like we played hard. Uh, you know, I, I think the guys wanted it out there, and you know, not a whole lot has changed on my stance personally um, from that game. I think uh, the things that I thought I missed right after the game are the things I realized I missed. You know, watching it a few days later. Again, I'll, I'll take that one. That one's on me. I think the guys played well, well enough around me to win that game, and and I didn't perform at my best. You know, and that's on me. Yeah, he just needs to be more consistent again. Uh, again, I, you know, a lot put, gets put on that kid's shoulder. We need to be better around him. But I think he can play better than he did last week. And, and most of it's just consistency, making sure that when he has opportunities to complete balls, that he gets the ball to him. And just being a little more definitive with his decisions, a little sharper and crisper so balls are coming out a little quicker and uh, decisions are made a little quicker. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Rob Washett, and a class of Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez as um, a lot of talk about Martinez and, and what direction he's going to head here these final three weeks. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and one here in Lincoln. Get on into any of those Tanner's locations. You can catch the Nebraska game. They'll be open early for the 11 o'clock game on Saturday. Or you can go in and after the game. I know after um, 11 a.m. games, they get a big rush of people that want to watch all the night games um, at any one of those Tanner's locations. So uh, check out all the football action this weekend at any of those Tanner's Sports Bar locations. Guys, let's talk Adrian Martinez now as um, that really has been a topic, and I don't think it's a topic we thought we'd be discussing this late in the year, but it's become a reality. And I think, and I wrote this week, that these three games, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Iowa, are almost career defi- – it's a career-defining moment for Martinez – because if he fizzles out and let's say worst case scenario, Nebraska goes 0 and 3, 1 and 2, he plays poorly, it changes the narrative of the entire offseason of a position that we thought was set in stone for 
the next two to three years, you know, the next couple of years where now, you know, there could be a quarterback battle. And you look at this game this week, Wandell's questionable. Um, you know, Martinez is going to have to be a big-time runner. He's going to have to make throws and carry to Nebraska to victory if they're going to have a chance to win this game. Well, I think we learned, you know, during these injury issues that uh, Adrian had that the drop-off from where Adrian is right now compared to where Noah Vedrill and even to extent Luke McCaffrey are is not nearly as significant as people may have thought going into the season. I mean, obviously, Adrian was being hyped up um, as one of the best quarterbacks in all college football, uh, and so it was one of those deals where the program was built around him, and he was going to be the driving force behind whatever success Nebraska was going to have this season. But when he regressed and then was eventually uh, held out to injury, you know, the Vedrill and McCaffrey stepped up just fine. And actually the offense operated fairly well uh, to the point where all of a sudden you kind of start reevaluating just how important Adrian is to what you're doing, especially if he's playing at the level that he's playing. And that I think is the biggest issue is, not necessarily what's going on behind him, but um, the fact that he's gotten worse from where he was at the end of last season is probably as big of a reason. But why is that line play? Is that running back production? Is it lack of play? It. But he's missed wide open throws. Yeah. That, that's the bottom I line. Mean, that's the bottom line. And he's hesitant. He doesn't look confident. Uh, he doesn't look like he kind of has a, a real control of the offense. And again, there are a variety of reasons for that um, that certainly aren't helping the cause. But uh, for a guy that was, you know, he was supposed to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, those types of things aren't supposed to be happening for a guy like that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the amount that was put on his plate going into his second season, you know, with all these expectations about his ability to run this offense, I think Frost and the staff really kind of, you know, put it out there for him. It's like, you're going to run our full offense where I think last year it was more of what it looked like when Noah Vedrill was out there where they condensed it to, you know, a lot of runs, quick decision plays, one read passes. Uh, and he was able to really execute well, at a Stanley high level. Stanley Morgan was that. an eraser. Divino Zigbo was an eraser. I mean, you had two NFL guys there with, you know, and I think you, you, you lose that. I mean, Spielman has never had to be the number one guy. He's always had another guy to compliment him. And I think the offense has just changed without those two guys. Yeah, and so, I don't know. I just think that when they pare it down, all of a sudden this offense looks a lot better. And it seems like maybe this offseason they tried to really take a big jump with Adrian that maybe he wasn't necessarily ready for. Well, I think the bottom line is if he, if he doesn't finish the season strong – or if the team doesn't finish, you know, here on a good note, I mean, it's going to be a topic of discussion. You know, what do you, what's going to happen at that position? What's going to happen in the off season heading into spring football? Because there's there's a lot of talent there, and it's only getting stronger with the addition of Logan Smothers. And uh, I mean, you've got a legitimate room quarterback room that's full of talent and those guys are competitive I know that they all get along and and they're very supportive of one another and they've got a great makeup in that room is in terms of you know not uh you know ill will between anybody but but they are competitive and and each and every one of those guys wants to be the guy and so I mean it's it's going to be a topic of conversation and um you know I would think that at some point it would have to trickle its way up to North Stadium too and then you guys, you look at this game Saturday, uh, questions about Wandale Robinson. Uh, we know Maurice Washington's nowhere in the picture. Um, so all of a sudden, the running game in general is such a question to me for Saturday uh, because you're asking Dedrick Mills to do something he really hasn't done all year, and that's take – you know he's done it once maybe where he's had like 20 carries in a game. Well, Dedrick Mills is going to have to have that many carries or around that number, and you're going to need Martinez to run it well. 
And by the way, you're only going to get maybe 55 to 60 plays max versus the normal 80. Um, so you're going to have to produce an offense with a lot less maybe than you normally would have on a Saturday, Robin. Well, that's an, an offense that, you know, as far as uh, executing uh, at a pretty efficient clip, uh, has struggled all year. I mean, turnovers, penalties, uh, you know, stalled run plays, uh, you know, bad snaps throwing everything off. I mean, this offense has been its own worst enemy all year, and now you're talking about a game where you have to capitalize on any and every opportunity that you get. And I think they're going to be there's going to be chances. I mean, you go back to what this offense did against Wisconsin last year. I mean, J.D. Spielman set the single, the school record for the single game receiving record. Uh, so, I mean, they have the opportunity, I think, to match receivers against linebackers and with their tempo, uh, assuming they can get it, uh, to ha- have some opportunities to get big plays down the field. But those don't happen if you can't run the ball. And right now, Nebraska's traditional running game is non-existent. And if the only way they're going to be able to move the football on the ground is with Adrian Martinez getting 20-plus carries, in my opinion. Well, they have to stay on schedule this week. They're, I mean, they cannot get behind the sticks because the, this pass rush that they're going to be facing against Wisconsin is – Third and nine's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, that's not going to get it done. And so whatever they have to do, they, they've got to make sure that they're successful on first and second down and – and staying ahead of the the sticks there because um, if they get behind or get, get off schedule at any at any point, it's going to be a nightmare of a game. Well, Chris Orr and Zach Bond, their two linebacker edge rusher guys, rank second and third in the Big Ten in sacks, only behind Chase Young. And Nate, a lot of these guys were homegrown guys they developed. Like very few of their players on the on the edge are like four star type guys. Right? Well, Zach Bond was a six three, two hundred pound quarterback in Wisconsin. He didn't even play linebacker. He they but they recruited him as a linebacker and he's made the switch and now he's become like an all conference type of guy. Is so, there a more under recruited state than Wisconsin in terms of other power five programs going in there? Yeah, pro- probably not. It's probably I mean, one of those states where they just don't think it's worth it, you know? Like when Nebraska was rolling, like you just didn't recruit Nebraska cuz they were going to go to Nebraska. Yeah, it's not like there's four or five big metropolitan areas there. And honestly, there's there's really not that many like big time football players that come out of Milwaukee. So um, you know, I, I think, yeah, if you're going to recruit Wisconsin, you kind of have to do your legwork and, and really invest a lot of time and go in there. But they've got a lot of a lot of athletes, a lot of big, big uh, bodied guys, too, that you can develop. All right. Well, we're going to talk defense next year as Nebraska has got the tough task of going against Jonathan Taylor, um, who's rushed for. Uh, close to 500 yards almost in two meetings versus the Big Red. How will they slow down Jonathan Taylor? What's the game plan on that? You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I think everybody just sees the way that he goes about his business. Everybody sees the way that he practices, um, the way he works. Obviously, we don't want a ton of leaders by example because that's not really a thing you know you're, that's just doing things the right way but he does everything the right way and he's going to be keep elevating himself into a leadership role i wasn't worried about it i just know i had to work hard every day and kept coming back to work as, as hard as i could so i'm doing the right things on and off the field and you know that day come and came today so i was pretty I was happy so now rents due every day and i gotta go pay it and you're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was a very emotional Garrett Nelson um, on Tuesday as he received his black shirt. You heard Eric Shenander. Um, and, you know, it's rare to see a true freshman get one at Nebraska. I mean, the club is very exclusive. I mean, you got Ralph Brown and Fabian Washington. I think Lamar Jackson, did he get one um, as a freshman? 
think he might have. I think he did later in the year. Yeah, later, maybe later on in the year. Uh, but true freshman black shirts are very rare at Nebraska. Nate, you were around Garrett Nelson, Nate, on on uh, Tuesday for the interview, and you've obviously we've covered him since the get go. And um, when I'll never forget Nate when he came to the two rivals camp stories with Garrett Nelson. One St. Louis, we didn't have him in our initial camp list after his sophomore year. He wanted to go. He got to the school at like five in the morning. <laughs> and put himself number one on the walk-up list. And they only take a handful of walk-ups. And he waited in line for hours to get into this camp and put himself on the map. Then the next year, he was obviously a well-known Nebraska commit. He shows up to a frigid – I think the actual feel was about 18 degrees in Chicago. Every other kid's wearing hoodies. And here's Garrett Nelson out there with a compression shirt on, no sleeves, shorts, out there going just you know balls to the wall nuts. Um, at that point and you know he's just different and and that's happening already with him right now in Nebraska yeah he's he's a different kid he's he is uh cut out of you know a, a different cloth than most kids he's a 100 percent all the time full go as competitive as you will ever see a kid be um he's very and, emotional too yeah well yeah he's passionate he's passionate you see it I mean, you could see it watching him in high school. Um, I mean, he he goes full bore constantly, and whenever he'd make a play, he would celebrate and throw the bones, whatever, you know, you almost kind of just freak out. And uh, so I, I'm not surprised that this has happened. Um, no one is going to outwork Garrett Nelson, um, and and obviously he's going to always be that guy that's doing the right thing. And and uh, like Chenander said, you know, it's you know, no problem leading by example there. I think the more that he continues to play, and and now that he is a black shirt, I think he'll grow more of a, a voice to have and, and be a leader. But um, certainly, he's made an impression on the coaches and on on his teammates. And this is, I think, this was a little bit of a message too that the Nebraska staff was saying, "Hey, look, this is what." it means to be a black shirt you if you want to be a black shirt this is what we want you to be we want you to be all in bought in um you know do everything the right way go 100 percent all the time and so i think there was a little bit of that too that nebraska sending a message with garrett nelson and damian jackson getting black shirts yeah i think the obviously garrett being a, a true freshman getting one is uh, interesting in its own right but the timing uh, of him getting it, I think, was just a, as big of a, a notable aspect of that because uh, I agree with you, Nate. I think this staff is sending a message that um, not, right now we're to the point where it doesn't matter how old you are, uh, what position you play, how much you play on game day. Uh, this whole thing we're talking about building culture and doing things the way that it's expected of you within this program you know, you're going to get rewarded for it. And those that aren't doing that, you're going to get punished for it. And you know, if it means giving a true freshman a black shirt in November. And we saw black shirt taken this week. Yeah, Caleb Tanner was not wearing so a black shirt. what that says is Garrett Nelson is taking the snaps that Caleb Tanner is playing. Is yeah. that how you read it? Yeah, I mean, that's basically how you do it. But I think it goes more than just what's going on on Saturday. I think it's Garrett does everything right. Uh, I mean, he might not be perfect in his execution, but Nate, like you guys said, I mean, he's 110% on every little thing he does, whether it's uh, the rep he's taking in practice, the play he's doing in games, or just sprinting on and off the field every time he gets an opportunity. Uh, that is, he if they 
you know, the old thing about Andy Janovich, the Broncos guy said, if we had 22 Janos, yeah. we'd be okay. If they had 22 Garrett Nelsons, I think they'd be, they'd be pretty happy with that because he embodies everything they want this program to be. And putting him in a leadership position like that is a clear message to the rest of the team that this is what we want. This is what uh, the expectations are. Follow this guy's lead and you'll be okay. And seeing that black shirt taken, I mean, stripped, you haven't seen that for a long time. I mean, I, I can't recall especially just one guy. Usually it's like a group or and like an entire defense this or, is a, or someone volunteers it up right. or whatever. But this is a young, highly touted four-star guy um, that Georgia dropped and Nebraska was able to kind of swoop in and get him late. Um, was it? A, he was in the transition class as well too, right? So um, kind of a late guy Nebraska jumped on and got him. But yeah, you would think that was a huge blow to his ego, Nate, to, to have the black shirt just ripped out of his hands and, and taken this week. Yeah, I mean, that that is a huge blow. And, and uh, I mean, you want to talk about having your cage rattled a little bit. Uh, go ahead and, and take away, you know, the black shirt. I think sometimes some guys could take it for granted. And, and Garrett Nelson said, you know, now that I have it, um, you know, rent's, I gotta, due. rent's due every day. And so you have to put something into it to get something out of it. And, and I think that – uh, maybe there's a handful of guys, Caleb Tanner included, that that weren't necessarily putting or paying enough rent, uh, so to speak. And then, guys, uh, we got to talk Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin. I mean, he is he's the story in in slowing down this Badger offense. I am intrigued in the sense, though, very few teams have just come straight at Nebraska with a physical punch in the mouth attack. Um, teams have tried, and they've actually not had much success. So. This is kind of what Nebraska's defense has done well, but we know Wisconsin's a different animal, a different beast. Um, Jonathan Taylor has blown through Nebraska for almost 500 rushing yards and 10 yards a carry over his 40. I think he's at 49 or 47 carry. 49, carries. I believe. 49 for 470 is is the the stat line. Five touchdowns. Ooh, Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was one game for Melvin Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, basically plug and replace Wisconsin running back. Monty gonna Ball. Have, they're going to have a career day against Nebraska, but Jonathan Taylor's uh, made Nebraska pay. Uh, a couple times in a row now. They've and, paid the rent. <laughs> yeah, and, and what what he kind of I mean personifies is what Wisconsin's offensive identity is. To where uh, even if you shut him down for three quarters, they're going to keep pounding him and pounding him and pounding. Him. Eventually, he's going to break free. I mean, last year at Wisconsin, it was the exact same story where Nebraska did a pretty good job of at least preventing him from taking the game over until late in the game when uh, he throws a stiff arm to DiCaprio Boodle's face and throws him to the ground and off to the races for an 80-yard touchdown, game over. And so that is, I think, what is going to be as big of a challenge as anything for this defense is not just stopping the run, but stopping it for four full quarters until that clock hits zero because Wisconsin is not going to change what they do. They are not going to get away from their philosophy of punching you in the face until you fall over. And Nebraska has not responded at all, uh, regardless of the staff, regardless of the defense. And so that is the only way they win on Saturday, is if that defense can rise the challenge and keep that Wisconsin running game from taking the game over. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of old school Nebraska, right? You, you knew what, what Nebraska was going to do. Now stop it. Yeah, now stop it. That's exactly it, what it is. And uh, They used to tell them the defenses play, the play yeah. just to get a better challenge, and they still couldn't stop it. Exactly. And so, and Greg Austin said this week, you know, we know, we know what they're going to do on offense and defense. They don't deviate from that, and they don't have to because they've perfected what their identity is. And so 
um, yeah. So now it's it's up to Nebraska to to go toe to toe and find you know find a way to to have that willpower for like you said Robin all four quarters and a couple other personnel notes Darian Daniels questionable or we don't know his status and that's a big one because um he has been or was Nebraska's best defensive player what's happened to Damian Daniels we haven't seen him really much play all year I mean there's his snaps are way down but we will see Keem Green and Ty Robinson this week according to the staff as they take advantage of the red shirt rule so some defensive line notes here, uh, Robin, here, here um, if you had a brief thought on that. Yeah, I think Keem Green's going to be interesting because obviously he came in with a lot of hype but has a few and few, a few opportunities. Uh, and this is the game they've been saving him for all season. So not only Saturday but the rest of the three games, he's going to be a big impact. Yeah, what I'm interested to see is if they you know, run any four-man fronts here and, and try to get a couple of, you know, a couple of bigger bodies up against that Wisconsin offensive line and, you know, Keem Green included. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Mike Wheeler is joining us in studio. Uh, we'll take your questions next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, he honestly, uh, in my mind, is a little bit like Amon Green. I think that's who he kind of compares to. Is He looks at times like he's kind of gliding, but he's got a really smooth stride, and I've never seen the guy get caught from behind. He's a big body, too, but has the ability to not only run through guys, but also uh, have a very subtle wiggle and, and, and make guy miss in space. So he's a, he's a good back. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Uh, that was Barrett Rude uh, talking about um, Jonathan Taylor, reminding him of Amon Green when he was asked to compare him to another back. And now it's time for the Husker Online Mailbag as Mike Wheeler joining us in studio. Uh, lots of questions around Husker Nation this week. Mike, what do you have to lead us off with? All right, guys. So we heard earlier this week from defensive coordinator Eric Shenander about the staff possibly unleashing some of those younger guys these next few games uh, that still can possibly redshirt. So who are you guys most excited to see or who would you most like to see be out there? I mean, Keem Green, I think the fact that he's going to redshirt this year, I mean, he, he intrigues me. And then I'll put Hickman out there too. I just think um, there's something there with Hickman that they want to see more of and they like. And, and it's realistic that we could even see him a lot on Saturday. He's got two games left, but his perimeter blocking could be something really to watch. Yeah, those are the two obvious ones. Ty Robinson also is going to get uh, a pretty good workload. And, you know, they're talking about a defensive line that loses a lot next season. Uh, he is one of that new wave that uh, is going to be called upon uh, next year to take the brain. So uh, those two in particular, and then yeah, obviously Hickman. Uh, I'm curious to see how he's used over these next two or three games. How many does he have left? Two. Two. Because right, he this played is... one special teams game. Right, right, right. I think, I believe, is he played one on special teams and then one on offense. Okay. Well, because they don't know what his future is. Is he a tight end or is he a wide receiver? I think a lot of that depends on just how he fills out physically uh, and what his body does over the next year or two. Uh, but uh, regardless, he's going to be a factor because right now you could make a case that he is their best perimeter blocker. Well, yeah, that's big, and, and I agree with those. I also am interested to see Nick Henrich uh, this week. He'll, he'll be at least on some special teams, so uh, in, in kind of his first action back coming from, uh, from that shoulder injury. What do you got next? All right, guys, so heading over to basketball, I think a lot of people started this basketball season with pretty modest season goals. But after the first two games in that game against Stone, uh, what are you, what are your guys' new goals or have they changed <laughs> or, you know, kind of where are you guys at with the basketball team? I joked with Robin on Saturday. I mean, Southern Utah came in. like I, I mean, I know a lot about college athletics, and I've never heard of Southern Utah until Saturday. I mean, it felt like the movie – 
uh, we were joking like Blue Chips and, and what was the other movie we talked about, Robin? Um, he got game when yeah. like they would just play random schools like, like Tech, Tech, Tech U and, and Big, Big State. State. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> like Nebraska lost to a team. Like, I mean, they, I'm known disrespect to Southern Utah, but man, it's going to be rough. Well, Southern Utah is a unique case. Their, their head coach is the former head coach of uh, Finley Prep, who's a basketball power in uh, Nevada, and they've got a transfer from Iowa State, Jacoby Long, and Dwayne Morgan is from UNLV, who Nebraska offered out of high school. So, you know, they're a, a name you've never heard of, but they're talented. But to the question, uh, I was going into this year saying if they could get to 500, that'd be a successful season. Uh, I don't know how likely that is anymore. Uh, you're probably looking at single-digit win total at this point. Uh, just because they have so far to go, much further than I think anybody expected. So you got to look at kind of what you define as success differently uh, this season outside of just wins and losses. You know, what, how does the team grow? I mean, they're, they couldn't have gotten much worse than that opener. How much different do they look come February, March than they do right now? I think that that's kind of what you got to take this whole season for what it is. All right, guys, uh, heading over, uh, we saw Chris Hickman was uh, now on the depth chart for wide receiver. Does he have the speed to succeed at wide receiver long term? I think he's fast enough. Um, guys that are that big generally don't run 4-4-40s anyway. I mean, you, you look at just big 6-6 six, six guys. Is he 6-6, six, six, Nate, or 6-5? I mean, he's a legit 6-5. But guys that big typically are, you know, 4-6 type long striders, maybe 4-7s. I mean, you don't have – I mean, Brian, Brian Reimer's – um, wasn't that fast and, I, I, and and he was he at least had a productive career um, you know as a guy that probably ran about a four seven or a four eight and Hickman's faster than that yeah Maurice Purify was not a burner by any means he could run well uh, but he wasn't like he was ripping off you know he wasn't a four four guy or, or can you win a matchup yeah can you win a matchup can you catch the ball can you do something with it afterwards and and I think Chris Hickman can do that he did it in high school um, I mean, he's he's a really, really good athlete. And, and like Robin mentioned, he's probably right now the best perimeter blocker that they have. And so he's got some tools to work with there. He's really, uh, you know, he's got a lot of tenacity. It's something all the coaches have always mentioned about him. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that he does have the skill set to be a, a long-term wide receiver. And, Robin, maybe the weight hasn't gone on Chris Hickman as fast as they thought, and that that's probably played a factor in this. Yeah, I think it's that's part of it, the fact that you know the receiver depth right now is not good. Uh, and uh, honestly, I think the reason that why he's he made that move for this season uh, is to provide more blocking. I mean, the, the perimeter blocking has been absolutely atrocious this year, and they need all the help they can get. And if that's a way that he can make his uh, mark, uh, I mean, good for him. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he alternates between both positions the rest of the way. All right, guys, sticking over or heading back over to recruiting. Uh, quite a few offers this past week went out to JUCO guys, and Red Sea Scrolls did have a heyday with that. But <laughs> who among those guys do you feel Nebraska has the best shot with? So one, one of the guys that's coming in this weekend, I think they've got a pretty good shot at is Jamoy Hodge, who is, uh, could, be, could be an outside or inside linebacker out of Independence Community College, 6'2", 6'3", about 215, 220 pounds. Um, and the interesting thing about him is he was a qualifier out of high school. He's originally from North Carolina, I think right outside of Charlotte somewhere. And 
Um, you know, he was a qualifier, just didn't have very many big offers. So he decided to go the JUCO route and it's paid off. He's gotten here just over the last few weeks. He's picked up a couple of big 10 offers. Arizona just offered out of the pac 12 SMU just offered. So, um, you know, but I, I do think that Nebraska has got a good shot with him. And, um, there, there's a couple other guys, Devere Levelston is a D end out of, uh, out of Texas, um, you know, LeVar Gardner is out of Hutch, kind of a DB linebacker, you know, hybrid type of guy. There's, I, I would say there's probably six or seven Juco guys out of, out of the 14 or 15 that they've offered recently that they, they've got at least a pretty good shot with. All right, guys. Uh, do you believe, uh, you know, after the Maurice Washington situation kind of unfolded, do you believe that we will still see some significant portal action after the season with guys who still aren't on board or have yet or have been told that they're not good fit for the scheme wise? I just think in general you're going to see portal action every year on every team in college football. It's just going to happen when guys go on scholarship and they're highly recruited and they're not playing and it's not going to their plan. They're going to put their name in the portal because there's so much more transparency. Um, and I think Nebraska will always keep two to three spots in their pocket to find portal players on the flip side. So, yes, I do think you'll – I don't want to put a number out there, but there's going to be the natural, what, three to five every year, I think, that leave. Yeah, and especially when you're not winning. I mean, guys are going to get disgruntled. If you're not playing on a team that's not winning, uh, their greener pastures look a lot more appealing. Yeah, I, I just think that's part of what it is with college football these days. You're going to always have probably at least three – every year uh, that, that decide to, to look for opportunities elsewhere. And especially early on, you know, with this new staff and everything, I, I think that, um, that that will probably lend itself to having it maybe more than usual. All right, final question, Mike. What's next? All right, guys. So this was self-dubbed by the poster, a sentimental question of the week. Here. <laughs> but with the amount of emotion that Garrett Nelson displayed after receiving that black shirt, does that give you legitimate hope for the future, just seeing how much that meant to him? You guys did touch on it, but kind of just – for, uh, for future things with uh, black shirts. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it like that because Garrett Nelson has been that guy no matter who the coach is. I mean, I saw Bob Diaco make Garrett Nelson cry when Bob Diaco offered the yeah. scholarship to him. So <laughs> um, Garrett Nelson is this emotional guy in general, um, but I, I just think it was more a statement of the way they want the culture to be going forward. That's encouraging that you have a young guy like that. I mean, along with Damian Jackson, who's just a sophomore who – uh, are establishing themselves as true leaders of this team. Uh, and so I, mean, I think they have a good young core of guys that are quickly starting to grow into those respected locker room roles that, as we all know, are so pivotal to uh, you know this really becoming a successful program. Yeah, I th I th it's definitely encouraging. And these are the types of leaders that, that these coaches have wanted uh, since they arrived here and that they've talked about. And and uh, you know now that you've got a couple, it's going to be easier to to grow and develop a couple more. And, and from here, it'll just kind of snowball, I think. All right, that wraps it up for the mailbag. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're looking for guys that can help us right now. So we, we're not recruiting junior college guys. Uh, they have to sit on the bench for a year or two years and then wait their turn. We want guys that can help us right now if we're, if we're going to take some junior college guys. And obviously, you got to put out a few more offers than what you can take just because everybody wants those guys and they're going to have five to 20 options. So 
Um, you got to put out a few more, but we want guys that can help us immediately. You can get in here, hopefully in December. Some of those guys are out in May, but hopefully get in here in December, help us in spring ball, and be ready to go in the fall. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Final segment, that was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander talking about Nebraska's approach here late with junior college recruiting this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision, Nate Klaus. Tell them about your experience with Coogler Vision. Yeah, it's been a couple months now since I've had my my LASIK procedure done, and things are going great. And, and one thing that's really stood out to me besides my improved vision is just how well uh, the, the Dr. Stunts and the whole staff there have treated me during the, the entire procedures and, of course, with the follow-up care that, that I've received. So, um, you know, if, if you're looking to, to change your life and, and ditch the glasses, contacts, highly recommend uh, looking into seeing what Coogler Vision can do for you. All right, Nate, let's talk junior college recruiting here out of the gates. A big visit weekend coming, but that has been really the topic here. Um, what is the, if you had to estimate in the last two weeks, how many new JUCO offers, what's the numbers? About 10 that have gone out? Yeah, it's right around 10. And really since, since mid-September, I, I think I tracked it at 14 junior college offers since, uh, since mid-September. So, um, but obviously the majority of them have come here over the, over the last bye week And, and I know people you know, on the Red Sea Scrolls are freaking out thinking that that this kind of signified a, a panic mode that Nebraska has, has gotten into with recruiting because things have been slow on the recruiting front. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that things. And, and I think Nebraska would be the first to tell you if they could, that, you know, their things haven't necessarily played out the way they thought they would this year, but um, it's also the time of year where junior college offers are made. You know, it's it's their season has come to an end. You have a you have nine to ten games of film on all these guys, uh, and names have have emerged. Players have developed, and um, you know, and, and it's it's that also that time of year where, as a coaching staff, you know where your deficiencies are, where you need to bring guys in to, to have an instant impact. And like Eric Chenander said in the open, where they need guys to come in and not just sit on the bench, but come in and make a, you know, make their presence felt. And so um, I think when you combine what you, you know, your handful of positions where you feel like you need instant impact uh, with, uh, with a whole season's worth of, of junior college film, uh, all of a sudden that, that, that translates into a handful of offers. And, and that's kind of what we've seen. How many guys total? I mean, what's do you think two to four? Could we see five? I mean, how many of their twenty-four to twenty-five signees could be JUCOs? Yeah, you know, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if we if it went to as high as five, but I think two to four is probably more realistic. And the only way I see it going to five is if a couple of those five were your non-traditional junior college transfers. You know, guys. Um, like I mentioned in the mailbag, like Jamoy Hodge, who was a qualifier out of high school. He can transfer in December and have four years to play three seasons. Um, you know, you know, so you've got essentially you've got just a little bit more of an experienced high school player, not your typical, you know, two for two or, or three for two junior college guy. And this is what I'll say, Nate, when you look at the roster next year, who the hell is going to get to a quarterback right now yeah. on this team? You just took Caleb Tanner's black shirt. I mean, Garrett Nelson maybe he's a guy, but they don't have anybody, in my opinion, for 2020 that you can say, this is our guy that's going to get to quarterbacks. Yeah. And this is, I think, why the Juco, that's that's probably as important of a piece to this class as anything right now. Absolutely. They they need somebody who can who can bring pressure on the quarterback. And 
Um, you know, I think Blaze Gunnerson, uh, for being a true freshman, and I hate to anoint true, you know, guys that even haven't even stepped foot on campus yet, but he there's a chance that he could come in and be your most talented pass rusher as a true freshman. But he's going through his own stuff. You know, he just uh, he just had a hip surgery um, on his other hip here a couple weeks ago, and so. Uh, he's not going to be able to go through spring football or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, so he's going to be a little bit behind the curve. But they've got to find somebody that can get after the quarterback and and, uh, and a couple of impact players in that front seven, especially when you consider how many defensive linemen you're graduating off, off this defense. And it's an 11 a.m. kick, but it's still going to be maybe one of the biggest 11 a.m. visitor lists we've seen in a while um, and it's November. A lot of kids are done with football. You can get kids up here. Is the list eight, nine guys now at this point? Yeah, yeah. so I think, you know, we're still working to confirm uh, a couple guys, but I think it's going to be close to close to nine players, uh, which this late in the season for an early kick is incredible. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be – some star-studded visitors that that are going to be in town. Guys committed to other places. Guys that are committed to other places. Uh, you know, Nebraska has, has wasted no time kind of going after a few Florida State commits um, or, or players that were heavily considering Florida State that now, you know, maybe taking a step back from their recruitment and, and looking at some other options while Florida State figures out what they're going to do. Um, you know, and, and one telling thing that that we saw come out of the bye week was Travis Fisher, who doesn't really take to social media very much. He tweeted that he was getting after it in Florida and that he was going to get guys from Florida up to Nebraska. Um, and that's what we're that's kind of what we're seeing this weekend. Uh, there's going to be four or five out of those eight or nine visitors that are coming from the state of Florida. And they're all highly, highly ranked players, uh, top 100, top 250 type of four star players. And we're still like you said, you're, you don't want to divulge too many of these names because we're trying to confirm it. And some of these guys are committed to other schools. Yep. And some of this information is sensitive um, in that regard because, you know, when teams do find out maybe one of their commits is visiting Nebraska um, and it gets out before a kid really wants it out, it could affect the whole the whole deal. Yeah, when, when, when a player tells you to not put, the, put that information out there, uh, you, you know, you have to respect their wishes. And, um, and, and for, you know, a lot of times when that does happen, it is because they don't necessarily want, um, you know, they don't want the – the that to be telegraphed all over the place they don't want the coaches that they're committed to or whatever to be blowing up their phone and and you know completely ruining their their relationship with with that coaching staff too so I mean that's the recruiting game is is um you know is it's unique in that respect where you always kind of have to be you know for every for every action there's a reaction and a lot of times these recruits don't want the, that news out there until you know right before the visit or until they're on campus in some cases and Nate uh, Scott Frost made some rounds uh, on Friday in state um, in the region uh, in Iowa as well and you know we know all about Avante Dickerson and Teddy Prochaska uh, but Nebraska's got some other younger offers out there one at Burke um, a couple in western Iowa at Lewis Central um, and and where's uh, where's the other kid from um Right, the eight man Fremont Mills, Fremont Mills, yep. um, which you know Nebraska hasn't had an eight man scholarship recruit since Steve Crewalt. Yeah, that I know of. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, so, and and those two those two Western Iowa kids are are really good. Seth Malcolm there at, at Fremont uh, Mills, and really Thomas Fadone. You talk about someone who's just blown up. Uh, the tight end out of Lewis Central. 
Uh, Nebraska, I think, was the second or third team to offer him uh, behind Iowa and Iowa State. And now he's got over double-digit offers from, um, you know, from Big Ten, SEC, uh, Big 12. I mean, he's got Michigan just recently uh, that offered. And, um, you know, he's, he is blowing up. That kid – um, you know, is, is someone to really keep an eye on. And, and I think that, you know, he grew up a Nebraska fan, but he told me, you know, he's still – now that he's a recruit, he kind of has to take his that fan hat off and, and kind of look at what's, you know, the best situation for him. But definitely when you talk about 500-mile radius guys for the 2021 class, I think Thomas Fanone has to be right up there alongside of Avante Dickerson and Teddy Prasco. Do they have a uh, another Bellevue West offer out besides um... – Besides Betts? So, no, Betts is the only one right now. But, I mean, Bellevue West is extremely talented. And, um, but they you know, have a Burke offer out. Uh, yep, they've got a Burke offer. Devon, um, Devon Jones, I think. I, I, I think but that's, I'm, I mean, it's kind of a surprise. He's a I mean, 2022 kid. They really uh, jumped on him early. Yeah, and, and he's since added another Big Ten offer from Illinois. Uh, but at, at Bellevue West, keep an eye on Keegan Johnson, uh, the youngest brother uh, with of, from Cluster Johnson and CJ and Cade, uh, he's had a tremendous junior year, and and there's a handful of other kids at, at Burke that I think, or I, I'm sorry, at Belt West that could potentially get offers down the road. All right, it's a big recruiting weekend. Make sure you're on Husker Online, as we'll not only have coverage of Nebraska, Wisconsin, but Nate and the entire recruiting team will keep you up to date on the weekend itself. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.